Hi, and welcome to my podcast series, The New Abnormal. I'm Sean P. Lodishenesi, researcher, author, and speaker from Brand Positive. As a researcher, I've spent 20 years conducting ethnographic interviews on global projects. Along the way, I've been lucky enough to have met some amazing people, from psychologists to activists to creatives, some of whom I'll be talking to in this series. I'm also the author of The Post-Truth Business, which focused on trust, empathy, and privacy, while my second book, Influences and Revolutionaries, looked into innovation, behavioural change, and the climate crisis. So, I hope you enjoy the interviews, and if so, please tell your friends, leave a rating, and watch out for our other episodes. Now, without further delay, let's crack on with today's podcast. So today I'm really pleased to be joined by the absolutely fascinating Stephanie Benedetto, a corporate attorney turned climate fintech entrepreneur. She's the co-founder of Queen of Raw, no-code software to intelligently resell and recycle unused inventory on raw chain, measure, report, and turn pollution into profit. An advocate for women in business and sustainability, her companies have been featured in NPR, Good Morning America, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, and Fortune. She's a 2020 Incorporated Females Founder 100, an LVMH Innovation Award finalist, and an Accenture and World Economic Forum Circulars 2022. She's also a member of Pledge 1% and a founding member of New York Circular City Initiative and Wildlife Friendly Enterprise Network. Back in the day, she did a PPE at the University of Pennsylvania, which I've just been looking at online, which was founded in 1740. Who knew? Anyway, hi, Stephanie, and how are you? I'm great, thank you. And who knew that I'd learned something new uh, <laughs> in my own <laughs> <Absolutely>. intro? <laughs> but well, I actually, fantastic. I have to say, I'm at the University of Pennsylvania, it looks remarkably like Oxford. Fantastic. Um, Stephanie, before we go any further, I just have to say I've been watching a really, really great video of yours online. And I, what a great story. Uh, your, I think I believe it's your great-grandfather um, who... Uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, landed in the States and uh, set up in the Lower East Side and, and took things from there. What, that sounded like a fantastic story. So I have to say, Pat, can we start with your great-granddad and then work our way forwards? You know, any good founder story, right, starts before we were born. And for me, it was 100 years before I was born. Um, you're quite right. In 1896, my great-grandfather came over on a ship from Austria. He landed at Ellis Island and he settled into the Lower East Side of New York, which was the original Jewish garment district. Yep. He was an immigrant chasing the American dream. So he had to make a living for his family. It came with nothing, right? Yeah, so yeah. what did he do? He actually found materials and supplies nearby, old fabrics and furs and things immigrants had brought over on the ships with them, but they weren't using anymore. And he would repurpose them by hand into the most beautiful fashion garments. And he sold to local customers. And it was this incredibly profitable, successful business. Many of his fur coats I still wear, you know, 100 wow. plus later. And oh, so that truly has been the inspiration for how I think about our business and the future, right? Because it makes sense for people, for planet, but also for profit. Yeah, yeah. And I have to ask on that. I mean, obviously, you being based in New York, uh, I mean, do you go, is his, 
is it is the building that he lived in still there or um... it is i have indeed visited there is all the jewish tenement housing um and a beautiful yeah. exhibit there and when you get there you can really understand and feel and see how they lived and what it was like and it was incredibly uh powerful of course it has now become one of the hottest neighborhoods in all of new york city yeah, and yeah. you know if he knew what we paid to live there from what he when he lived there but that times have changed but it's beautiful Very yeah yeah beautiful. No, yeah i've uh, airbnb'd many times in the Lower East Side, and yeah, I can imagine just the. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's like Shoreditch in London, and whatever Kreuzberg in Berlin, etc., etc., isn't totally. it? But uh, also, I thought very interesting there. Um, and you just talked in that video about you seem to go to a very uh, dynamic school, presumably along with and also pre the University of Pennsylvania, that w- that really encouraged, as I understand it, a sort of an entrepreneurial mindset amongst women. Perhaps you can talk about that because it sounded really, really powerful. I did have a a very unique upbringing in that respect. I was raised predominantly in an all-female household. And as you noted, I went to an all-women's school for 13 years. And one of the most incredible things that they did early on was start us in like the first or second grade with public speaking skills. And they just had us practice speaking in front of each other. And at the time, obviously, in some ways, it might have felt a bit like a silly exercise where you're, you know, up there and just speaking on some topics. But I don't think I realized at the time and now do just how valuable that was because it empowered us to have this confidence in what we were doing, to speak articulately, to believe that we can and will change the world and really fostered in me, as you noted, this kind of entrepreneurial spirit and drive that um, we can be big and bold in our vision and think differently from what's out there, challenge old school ways of doing things and um, and build great things that are going to have a big mark in it and leave a big mark. And I continue my public speaking skills and training. Yeah. Um, it definitely has been something that I continue to want to lean into because it's been so valuable in our career. Fantastic. I mean, in that video, um, and I know we've only got a fairly short time today uh, on, appropriately enough, Earth Day. So we'll really crack on. But um, one of the the sort of great quotes, one of the great sound bites that uh, I sort of heard you give was perhaps sort of a riffing off the old Margaret Mead thing. Um, You know, never doubt the action you take can have a big impact. Now, I mean, I certainly know that you really do have a big impact. So go on then, perhaps just take us through exactly what the yeah. Queen of Raw is all about. You're right. I mean, and I truly do think about on the days that as an entrepreneur, things can be a little more challenging, right? And and Or you have a frustrating day. I think about the impact and what we've measured of the good work that we've done. And that's what drives me every day. Um, it's a little known fact, but every single year, over $288 billion with a B worth of unused textiles fabrics and clothing sits in warehouses collecting dust or gets burned or sent to landfill. And, you know, for so long, our supply chains and our industries, we've just been operating so fast and consuming so much. And if any good can come out of the world today and what's going on politically, socially, and economically, I think it's that we've woken up to this issue and people now realize what I had keyed into early on, but just how damaging that is to people and planet. To give you one metric that always resonated with me, one t-shirt takes an average 700 gallons of water to produce it and another 700 gallons of water to wash in its lifetime. That's one shirt. 
And that's actually enough clean water for two people to drink around the world for three years. So just think about how many shirts every single person out there has, right? Um, But I like to flip that on its head. As much as fashion and textiles and consumption is very damaging to our water, it also means that fashion and textiles and supply chains have the power to solve the world's water crisis if we rethink how we do things. And so with Queen of Raw, we've built um, a solution. So anyone from a student maker, crafter, or quilter to the biggest brands and retailers in the world can reuse, resell, and recycle all this unused stuff, keep it out of landfill, and turn what would be pollution into profit. And, you know, I'll just end with saying to date, we've already saved well over a billion gallons of water and we're just getting started. So to that quote you noted, right, never doubt that these small actions, that one shirt, when you add it up, can have a massive impact and can literally move mountains. Whoa, whoa. And so perhaps just, just talk us through how you actually um, got into this, because I, I know you mentioned earlier you're an ex-corporate attorney. Uh, yes. And so, yeah, perhaps yeah, talk us through your story. You know, Roots, uh, funny enough, I, I didn't want to do the family route. Um, I ended up on Wall Street as a corporate attorney, but then started specializing in fashion, technology and sustainability so I guess at the end of the day, right, we get back to our roots and who we are. There's yeah, no design yeah, yeah. that the accent is here. The, the, the personality <laughs> yeah. and the roots are clearly there. Um, and so when the market crashed in 08 and 09, I looked at what was going on in the world and talk about the height of waste and greed and excess, right? Yeah. And I took that as my opportunity. I had obviously had that upschooling and bring, upbringing to be an entrepreneur and have that spirit. And I said, if not now, when? Yeah. And I took that as my opportunity to go out on my own, go build a business and change the world. And I actually had a prior startup to Queen of Raw. We invented a new leather alternative and it hit a note in the market when innovation in textiles and sustainability was just starting to get talked about, but we were still manufacturing something new. And so I go to all these factories and mills and warehouses and companies around the world and see all this beautiful stuff just sitting there in warehouses going to be burned or landfilled. And I kind of scratched my head and I said, it's great that they're buying this new sustainable leather alternative from us, but there's all this perfectly good stuff. And this is just a supply demand mismatch. And how can we use technology to provide the bridge? And that was the impetus for our marketplace and our software and tools and how it's grown since then. Well, and in terms of, and of how it's grown, I mean, uh, for the, those who aren't familiar with yourselves, um, perhaps on this side of the Atlantic, for instance, so go on then, just mm-hmm. what sort of um, operation sort of is it yep. now and uh, all the rest of it? Well, and it's an inception, you know, like any any good entrepreneur, we had to start with what's the quick, easy MVP to get up and get going. And so yeah. we started Queen of Raw as just a marketplace, like a thread up, a real real, a Poshmark or a Depop, but for unused fabric. A lot yeah. of stuff was focused on finished goods. Nobody seemed to be paying attention to the raw material pre-consumer waste. And we got the marketplace up and running, but it was funny. We started growing globally. And as we were growing, bigger and bigger companies would come to us. And they loved what we were doing and they wanted to participate in a solution. But as I'm sure you can imagine for, you know, a Fortune 500 huge company to be able to participate in a marketplace. Right. And to do what we were doing quickly, easily automated and at scale, there's just more we needed to provide them with more tools. And so that's where kind of our growth and trajectory has been. We have really been building out our backend software, software, as you mentioned, you know, no code software in the cloud. And all that means is kind of a plug and play quick and easy way for the biggest Fortune 500 companies in the world 
to find the waste in their supply chain, figure out what you got, where it sits, how much is there, what it's made of. And then you can take action on it with a click. Click a button and reuse it now that you know about it. Click a button and resell it. Let's make some money. Or click a button if it's proprietary or past its shelf life and recycle it or donate it. And we track and measure all those good actions on the blockchain, our raw chain, and report back to the company for financial, legal, and ESG reporting. Here's the good work you did, and here's the impact that you've had, the water, the chemicals, the carbon emissions, and the waste and dollars you've saved. And I think that's really powerful and important because when we talk about sustainability, as I'm sure you know, people and planet are at the core of why we do what we do. But I'm a big proponent that any solution we adopt has to make economic sense. Otherwise, why would anyone adopt it, right? Whether you're a consumer or a company, if it doesn't make economic sense, and that's really where we've keyed in early on to how to make it a win-win-win for everyone. Wow. And and then during it, what about, um, should we say that that as you've been along that journey, uh, what about the things that uh, were perhaps easier than than you expected or the barriers that you had to really get past? Perhaps. uh, Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, in the beginning, obviously, we would go around to these big companies and we'd be so excited and see such a powerful opportunity for them to monetize and measure and minimize this waste. And we'd end up early on, you know, we were in the fashion district on the ground in New York, and we'd go to the biggest companies in the world there, but we'd end up talking only to the sustainability department. And don't get me wrong, they are your brand champions, right? They're passionate, they care. But a lot of times they were a newly created position, not fully integrated into the enterprise organization or didn't really have a budget and a directive yet. But the good news is that through the pandemic and fast forward to today, and now that position is so valuable and important, so fully integrated. And we don't just talk to the sustainability teams anymore. We're talking to the CEOs, the CFOs, the CMOs, the COOs. And when you get all of them at the table, this becomes a top priority, right? For every C-suite because it is for the future. And so I think that, kind of what was a challenge turned into a now with the with what's going on in the world, a massive opportunity for us, um, as well as with all the law, legal changes going on around this, right, to just support why this is so important. Um, so that was really taking that challenge and, and how we just kept pushing forward and turning it into an opportunity. Mm. And, and is it a, uh, if you say, it, it, it's a, is a sort of the sector you're in um and, and the other people that you know entre- you know entrepreneurs like yourself um either you know inside big corporates or doing their own thing um do, do people uh help each other or is it a uh, sort of a dog eat dog world you know I, obviously there's always competition right i i mean that's just inherent in the nature of, of business i think um but i do believe and we've taken the position early on that One, competition is great because it shows that there's a huge market opportunity here for what you're doing and you can all have a piece of the pie. It also shows that there are competitors who you can learn from, see who's, you know, what they're doing and learn from their mistakes. So you can be the last player in the market, right? To really dominate. But the other thing is a lot of these competitors, we end up making partnerships with and integrating with because we're all stronger when we think about that collaborative approach. And, um, you know, for us, some of our incredible partnerships with, you know, huge companies like SAP, as well as institutions like MIT in the United Nations and the World Economic Forum, it just makes all of us stronger. We can deliver an even more powerful end-to-end solution. So um, I like to take that kind of a, a real positive view to competition, it, it, also a win in all directions. 
questions. Yeah, yeah. And, and on that exact point you mentioned there about having a positive view, I mean, certainly one of the things I think it's really interesting, uh, let's say on this side of the Atlantic, from the point of view of uh, a lot of the, let's say, the climate activists, uh, uh, those really involved, uh, like yourself at the sharp end, if you like, of uh, all things sustainable and environmentally uh, linked. Um I think for a lot of them, it's actually it's very difficult to stay positive, to have an optimistic uh, mindset, because they they see what is often appears to be a, an almost you know insurmountable problem. Um, and I think it's interesting. I mean, how, and a lot of people in the activist network have real sort of mental health problems because they're dealing with, say, what appears to be this effective sort of you know slow motion or fast sort of speed disaster. Um, yeah. So ha- ha- how do you sort of keep a positive uh, outlook on things and? Um, yeah, how do you see? It's so true. You can look at and, and just feel the heavy weight of the world on sure. you, the sense of obligation, right? That yep. if we want to have a planet to live on, right, we got to do something about it. But I think the power kind of comes in when you can turn that into a sense of urgency and action. Um, yep. And I think a lot of times, one of the challenges with that S word sustainability, it means a lot of things to a lot of people, but it almost then scares people where you don't know where to go and what to do on day one. Yeah. And I am a huge proponent of working with everyone from fast fashion to luxury haute couture across industries and around the world, mm. because as much as we're all a part of the problem, we're all a part of the solution and small actions when you add it up in the aggregate, right? As we just talked about, have a yeah. massive impact. So, you know, I do look at the data to measure the impact that we've had and where in the world we've had that impact to inspire me. But I also think about why I'm doing this. And on a personal note, I'm doing this for my children. I mm. want them to have clean water to drink, clothes that aren't toxic to wear and a planet to live on. And that is what drives me every single day. And, um, you know, I, I, funny little anecdote. I was obviously pushing my son, who was three at the time, Jacob, in the New York City streets in a stroller. Yeah. And it was very loud, as New York City is, as we all are. Yeah. <laughs> and I hear something coming out of the stroller. And I lean forward to hear what he's saying. And all I hear is, are you naked right now? No, because you're using fabric. It's everywhere and it's polluting your water. This little three-year-old <laughs> was doing my 60-second pitch. And on the one hand, I said, well, I, I probably as a working mom, maybe I've practiced my pitch too many times while pushing him in the streets. But on the other hand, that Excellent. is what inspired me. I said, if he can get this at three years old, anyone can get this and we can and we'll change the world. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely fantastic. Um, and I, and I'm very aware that uh, as you are a massively busy person that we have to uh, keep this um, fairly uh, tight in terms of conversation. But just in terms of things that are coming up for yourself uh, in the sort of you know, short to uh, medium term future. Yeah. W- what's going on? We, you know, we've really gotten strong in fashion and textiles, obviously a massive uh, polluter of clean water, but also massive opportunity to solve our water crisis. But mm. this isn't just fashion and this isn't just textiles. Textiles touch everyone everywhere in the world every single day, right? It's your clothing, but it's also the material on your chair the inside of your car, the carpet on your feet. So really excited to be expanding the industries. We are now working in automotive, in aviation, computer electronics, consumer goods. So as big of an opportunity as we started at, we're excited to grow this even more exponentially because that just means we can have even more of a powerful impact. So we'll be rolling out our software across these industries and continuing to take action and sign partnerships globally. So please excited to reach out to everyone uh, here and, and to make us all stronger together. Nice, nice. And I also um, noted and mentioned earlier on that you're a founding member of uh, the New York Circular City Initiative. Perhaps just briefly to talk about that. 
Yeah. So funny enough, right before the pandemic hit, um, New York City, uh, we put together a consortium, H&M, Unilever, Cisco, Goldman Sachs, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, and Whoa. a number of other organizations. <laughs> Starting we, small then. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we, we, got, we got the big ones there. And we sat down at a round table for a year and we said, what would it look like to reimagine New York City? What would it mean to make New York City circular? in the coming years. And we wrote a white paper that we have revised since COVID to of course take that into account about what changes in the laws need to happen to make New York City circular. But most importantly, how many good jobs could be created and how much money could be saved and made by New York City doing this. And then we went so far as to show, okay, we don't just want to slap businesses with millions of dollars in liability on the books for not complying. What are the solutions like Queen of Raw that can help these businesses offset that coming legal liability. And I think that blueprint, you know, that gives you the guide and our goal is to roll this out in New York and then take it across cities, California, potentially next and around the world. We obviously looked at a lot of the good work going on where, you know, in Europe as, as a model and as an example, and the United States has a lot of opportunity here as well. Of course, New York, I'm trying to lead this. So really excited to see all the momentum. And now, of course, we've got the SEC ruling, which is uh, proposed and, and and looks like it's going to happen over ESG disclosure climate requirements for companies. So this is coming. The world is is changing, and we want to help everyone be ready to do better tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. And, and as has to be said, um, what about the uh, if you like the, on, on the sort of macro party political scene? I mean, do you get equal uh, um, sort of I should say sort of benevolent sort of uh, assistance or viewpoints from both sort of you know Democrats and Republicans or is that a is that a political um, issue as well? Well, everything on one hand can become a political issue, right? But um, I think that it's been interesting to see who's been rallying around the the, the climate conversation. Um, Putting aside personal politics, uh, although I'm not afraid to get involved in that, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that at the end of the day, it almost doesn't matter. I mean, once the SEC rules on this and and, and it, be, it is the law, Democrat or Republican, right? If you're a company under their rulings, you're going to have to comply with this and going to have to disclose your scope one, two, and three at carbon emissions, among other things. So um, it almost doesn't matter whether you're Democrat or Republican. If it's coming yeah. and it's happening, you want to figure out how to navigate it. And the good news is that there are solutions and companies like ours out there who can help companies do it profitably and responsibly and hopefully that will appeal to democrats and republicans <laughs> <laughs> exactly okay so as we begin to finish off um so just in terms of uh we will say you're obviously a very inspiring person but um so go on then so it has to be said uh, without being too glib uh, what inspires you yeah you know, I, I definitely um, understand and want to reach out to everyone who's going through challenges right now, whether it be personally or professionally. But I think that we are in a unique time and opportunity in history to build for the future that we all want. I mean, the future supply chain, which obviously is an industry I'm very tied to, I believe is going to be one that is more on demand more custom, more digital, more local, and more sustainable? And how do we build for that future that we all want? And thinking about that and my children and my future children's children, um, that is truly what inspires me and keeps me going. And uh, I, I think that 
what's been beautiful to see through the pandemic is, is how much people have come together and how people in planet have come to the forefront. And now let's just make it profitable for everyone to do better. So we can not only survive, but mm. truly thrive. <laughs> nice. Um, so go on then, just so everyone uh, who's listening is aware of actually how they can track you down and all the rest of yep. it and follow you. So go on then, where are you? I am very public about me. I mean, our social handles is queen of raw, one word everywhere, but I'm at Stephanie at queen of raw.com and I give my cell. I'm 646-583-0076. And I do it intentionally because I want to hear from you. I want to help support you in any way. Please feel free to reach out. We're, we're here together. Well, that is absolutely fantastic. So uh, if, if anyone needed a bit of a sort of high energy burst of uh, sort of info there, there we had it. The, a, a classic New Yorker. I love it. Um, well, look, so, so I know you have to uh, shoot on to your next thing. So um, all I can say is uh, to uh, Stephanie uh, Benedetto, uh, ex-corporate attorney uh, turned climate fintech entrepreneur and the absolutely fantastic Queen of Raw. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the New Abnormal podcast. Just so you know, the trends and insights discussed in these podcasts link to my speeches. Check out seanpeterc.com for more info and to ongoing cultural and social research conducted by brandpositive.org. Till next time, goodbye.